I would ask you, if you would, please, this morning to grab your Bible, printed or electronic form, or if you have some way to beam it into a, an implant through Radio Moscow, you go ahead and do that, too. We're going to be looking at Luke's Gospel and Chapter 7, Gospel of Luke, Chapter 7, and we'll be reading verses 36 through 50. Uh, Would you please stand with me in honor of God's word? Luke 7, 36 through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment and standing behind him at his feet, weeping. She began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, Self, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you, And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, 
your faith has saved you. Go in peace. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Father, we would see you this morning. Our forefathers had the wisdom to set aside a time where we as a nation would give thanks. And yet it seems that we as your children may just have fallen into the trap of reserving that attitude for a federal holiday. Show us, show us, Lord, how by your Holy Spirit to love as you have loved us. Show us how to forgive that we may represent you well in this world. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, and change us and comfort us. We ask these things in Jesus' name of God our Father and in the power of the Holy Spirit. All God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. On September 6th, 2018, 30-year-old Dallas police officer Amber Geiger went off duty and headed home to her apartment at the South Side Flats. Exhausted after a long day, she ascended to her third floor suite as she struggled to turn her key she realized that the door was ajar and she heard a commotion inside pushing the door open and peering into the darkness she detected the form of a shadowy figure Adrenaline surging and shocked by the apparent invasion she instinctively drew her service weapon and took aim let me see your hands! Let me see your hands! Hey, 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 hey! Came the reply from the darkness, and two shots punctuated the tension, one finding its mark deep in the chest of the apparent invader. Imagine her agony as the touch of a light switch transformed her home into an unfamiliar residence. What's happening? This isn't my furniture. That's not, that's not my carpet. Where are my family photos? Where am I? What have I done? Those of you who followed this case will know that in her exhaustion, Officer Geiger had traveled to the fourth floor and stumbled into the home of her upstairs neighbor to irreversible, devastating effect. Botham Jean, an honorable 26-year-old native of St. Lucia, working as an accountant at PricewaterhouseCoopers, died that night in his own home, seconds after a strange woman walked through his door and opened fire. A shocked 
Dallas community struggled to come to terms with this tragic case for about a year before the matter would come to trial. As someone who doesn't have cable TV or satellite TV, I'm not usually up to speed on news stories that are floating about, even stories like these. And, but as extraordinary as this case was, an off-duty police officer entering the home of an innocent man and opening fire, taking his life, none of those factors brought the story to my attention. Not until Brant Jean, the 18-year-old brother of the victim, took to the witness stand to address the accused. Not until that moment when this story became the singular, unavoidable headline of the day on news outlets and social media across the globe. It seemed as if the whole world paused in shock to hear his words. If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I... I forgive you, and I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. And I don't think anyone could say it. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I, see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's, what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that both of them would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can, can I give her a hug, please? Please? Yes. After Brant Jean forgave his brother's murderer, Amber Geiger, Judge Tammy Kemp joined him in consoling her, evidently deciding on the spur of the moment to give the convicted murderer her own personal Bible. As she held her in her arms, the judge spoke tenderly in her ear. 
news outlets scrambled for ethicists and theologians to explain this bizarre outcome. One such expert offered forgiveness is saying, even though I have a just cause against you, I'm going to give it up. And this raises an excellent point. Humanly speaking, this young man had every right to tear this defendant apart with his words. Hardly anyone would have faulted him for wishing upon her a fate worse than death. Many would have cheered Some would conclude that this young man must be acting under the influence. And they may be onto something. His actions demonstrated that he was under the influence of the Holy Spirit. For only he can teach the heart of a forgiven man to beat with forgiveness for another. To give this terrified, broken woman the greatest gift that any human being could give her. Those most precious words. Ego te absolvo. I forgive you. Now, consider this Contrasting passage in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, verse 21 to 35. It says, Then Peter came up to him and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times but 70 times seven, or 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Do you know what a talent is? Who knows... What amount, in terms of a day's wages, a talent is? The wage of a working man. Are you ready for this? 20 years. 20 years' wages. 20 times 10,000. 200,000 years' wages. This guy was in over his head. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 200,000 years' wages. And since he could not pay, duh, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. How much is a denarius? 
one day's wage. 200,000 years. That's 50 million days wages. And his friend owed him 100 days wages. And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. Probably could have. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also... Brace yourself. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This parable illustrates for us the consequence of pride as it relates to two relationships that this one ungrateful man had. At first, he is presented to us as a debtor and then as a creditor. Were it not for the second scene, we would remain ignorant of the hidden pridefulness of his first reaction. We might miss it. At first, faced with the prospect of his family being sold into slavery, he fell to his knees and begged for more time to pay the debt. Shockingly, his master was moved by his passionate appeal and dismissed this great debt wholesale. Hallelujah. Yet in response to that gracious reprieve, what does he do? He hunts down a friend who is in debt to him and demands immediate payment. This demonstrates several flaws in his thinking. Number one, he was more concerned, this unforgiving servant was more concerned about avoiding consequences than with acknowledging guilt. Now, we might have missed that, right? I mean, we might have we might have read into that that he was genuinely remorseful, but his response tells us otherwise. Uh, here's, here's a big one. In pride, in pride, he believed that he could settle this account given just a little more time. Reminds me of the evolution argument, right? Just a little more time. Enough time, right? Just, you know, 200,000 years wages. Just give me a little more time and I'll settle that debt. I could settle that debt. That's a prideful man. And here's the consequence of those things. His pride stifled in him 
any sense of gratitude. Any sense of gratitude that should have urged him to extend grace to others, to extend mercy to others. How could you leave there and go out and demand payment from someone else when you've been, you've been excused of 200,000 years of debt and go out and not just quibble, but demand 100 days' wages from someone who owed to you. How is that possible? It's only possible because he missed what just happened. In his mind, he was off the hook for some consequence. He had no sense of the gift that he'd been given. He had no sense of his own complete inability to ever settle that debt. He was completely lost in that debt. There was no possible way he could recover. So because he had this mentality of thinking, well, there's a certain amount of debt and I got to make a certain amount of payment. I get paid on Friday. Let's see. Let's carry the one. It'll be just a little more time. It may as well have been an infinite debt. Sound familiar? It was a debt neither he nor you nor I could pay. Who of us has 200,000 years wages? Fifty million days wages. We don't. It, it's infinite. It's an infinite debt. But at least we, we never act that way, right? Never take a deep breath. Do you see how those connect? Pride. It's been said, show me a man who withholds grace from others. I have no idea who said this. It could have been me and I forgot. I don't know, but I'm saying it now. (laughs) Show me a man who withholds grace from others and I will show you a man who has not understood his own debt. To understand the mercy of God starts with an understanding of our own debt. It starts with an understanding that we didn't just, we just don't have a disagreement. A little peccadillo. It's like an armadillo, but it's got a beak. No, we don't just have some little thing that we just need to, we just need to say, hey, by the way, sorry about that. Lord says, oh, don't worry about it. We fail, every one of us. We fail every day, and even in our first breath, to match up to God's perfect standard. What standard? The standard of Him. The standard of perfect righteousness. Listen, once we've failed there, there's no coming back. It's infinitely more than 50 million days wages. So if we fail to recognize that there's no possible way, if we fail to see the holiness of God, 
for what it is and for what it means for us, then we're delusional in our thinking. And we have no sense of gratitude that would drive us. No sense of thanksgiving. No sense of wonder. No sense of amazement at his grace that would drive us running to others to share it, to extend it to them. What charge could we bring against a man who's already infinitely in debt to God and maybe owes us a hundred days' wages? Okay, back to the gospel according to Luke. We were at Luke 7. Let's go back there. It's just how I think. I got to go back and read it again. Sorry if you don't like repetition. What do we know about the Pharisees? The Pharisees have their strong points. And when I say strong points, I mean things that they're really good at. And the things that they're really good at generally aren't things that are good. So their strong points are strongly uh, unhelpful. (laughs) Their strong points are usually strongly hurtful to others. The Pharisees, in fact, excelled at turning blessings received into burdens for others. The law was a blessing. The law God gave was a blessing. It was a schoolmaster. But it taught us. It taught us. It taught them. It should have taught them that they had an insurmountable debt. Just ten little laws. And I can't succeed at one of them. On face value let alone the fact that they took that law and turned it into thousands of laws that God never wrote. Their interpretations, their ways of application, you know, their ways of taking all those things and making them practical, right? We're going to make them practical for everyone. And they made it, they turned it into a, they devised a system where they could feel really good about themselves while putting it terrible burden on others. They were good at that. What else do we see here? What else do we see? Look at, what's, look at what happens here. Luke 7, 39. Now when the Pharisee, his name is Simon, who invited him saw this, he said to himself, this is to say, that's where I said self, right? This is in his head. Okay? He didn't say this out loud. He said to himself, man, if this man were a prophet, like he really says he is, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is he's, that is touching him for she's a sinner. Simon was blinded with contempt both for Jesus and for the woman. What, what drove him to that? Does it sound familiar? Does it sound like this righteous man of God who had set himself up as an authority over others, standing in the temple, putting forth a certain image that, man, like water off a duck's back, no charge will ever stick to me. 
because I am righteous. But y'all, listen, I got a book for you. It's bigger than this one. It's all full of laws. And you're all guilty. And you, you just wait. I'll find one to get you on. And he does this so much. He doesn't even realize he's doing it all the time. But at this particular time, they were all out to get Jesus. They did not like this guy coming in and stirring things up, this new rabbi. He was so blinded by contempt for him. He's just looking. Come to my house. We'll have a meal. It'll be good. Yanta will make us some, some matzo balls, some gefilte fish. It'll be delicious. Just come and sit at my table, Jesus. And he no more than sits down. This woman shows up and he's like, Oi, this guy hated him. Hated him so much. Looked at them and said, man, these, these people are debtors to the law. They're so messed up. I got no time for them but to sit here and judge both of them. And Jesus says, verse 44, turning to the woman, he said to Simon, doesn't address her first. He knows what he's thinking. Not because he's God and he has supernatural insight. Because the word tells us that he laid that aside. You didn't have to be a rocket scientist to know what these guys were thinking. He says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. Pastor Chris talked about this just last week. What a beautiful connection. We're called to serve as Jesus served. What example does he give? He's got 24 hours to live. He knows he's got 24 hours to live. And what does he do? He washes his disciples' feet. And here we see his feet washed not with nice, cleanish water in a basin, but from the cleanest. The cleanest water you could imagine, the water of human tears. Salty human tears flowing down the cheek of this woman who recognized her debt, who recognized the horror of her sin who recognized her own inability to do anything about her situation and she runs to Jesus and she falls at his feet and she, tears flowing from her eyes. They, they flow onto the feet of our Savior, the dirty feet of our Savior who'd been offered nothing by the master of the house and with her hair she washes them. This woman wasn't insane. This may have been the brightest woman in town. She recognized that she couldn't do anything to save herself so she ran to the one who she perceived could. She ran and she washes his feet. She doesn't know don't know what to do except to honor this man. And Jesus says, you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. 
Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. What more beautiful thing could we say to one another than, us all right. What is that? You want to know why I believe the church of Christ is not united? You want to know why I believe there's a lot of you in this room, myself included, who from time to time will be like, oh, I just don't have time for them this morning. I'm going this way. Oh, they're coming. Oh, I'm going this way. You want to know why you're sitting here and they're sitting there or you're sitting here and they're sitting there and, or you want to know why you're going to plan later on that when you get in line, oh, I just I don't want to sit with so-and-so. I just, oh, there's history there. You want to know why? Because, I'm sorry, ah, sorry. That's, that's not what he wants from us. That's not what he expects from us. That's not what children who have been excused of insurmountable debt do with forgiveness that they have received. Did you see that video? Did you see that young man begging the judge, please, can I please give her a hug? Can I please give her a hug, please? I want to show her what the love of Christ looks like. I want to show her that I'm not just saying words. I want to show her that I really mean that I want the best for her and the best is Jesus and the best is the forgiveness that only he can give. Ultimately, I say these words, I forgive her, but it's the Lord's forgiveness that she needs for her torment is not just for now, but forever. And I forgive her because I want the Lord to forgive her. And the judge, I don't know what the judge's expression was like. Can you imagine? Can you imagine if this judge is sitting up there? She's apparently a Christian. She's got a Bible sitting there at her desk. Can you imagine her thought process? I bet she was convicted by these sweet, generous words. I've sat in that room back there on multiple occasions seeking forgiveness from someone else or forgiving them as we were both humbled and our relationship has never been the same. God does not want sorry about that, it's all right. God wants us to be knit together in a way that understands what it is to be forgiven and what it is to receive when someone have a just cause against us for them to say, listen, and I love you. Do you know I love you enough? I'm going to let that go. I'm not going to hold that against you. I want to be, I want to be unbroken in my fellowship with you. All right. There's a few things I want you to think about. And we're going to go through these fast. These are principles for consideration. I, I probably could have got another whole page of these things. I got it down to seven, which, you know, you're supposed to have three points in a prayer. I don't do this enough to get it down to three. 
But if you'll, if you'll bear with me, we'll get through these quickly. Number one, what have we seen today? We've seen that all sin is rooted in pride. We know that to be true, right? We know all sin is rooted in pride. But specifically this morning, we've seen where if you come into a situation of requesting forgiveness, of seeking forgiveness, and you come into that situation with pride, you might receive forgiveness, but you're not going to recognize what you have. So all sin is rooted in pride, but thankfulness blooms in humility. Number two, humble recognition of brokenness fuels a desire for genuine reconciliation. Reconciliation. Six syllables. What a, what a beautiful word. That I could look at you and have nothing holding me back from, yeah, sure, let's, hey, let's go after church. Let's go downstairs and sit together. Let's anticipate God's goodness for us. Let's celebrate. Let's give thanks for a God who restores. For a God who takes relationships, who takes families that are torn apart by sin from within or from without and restores them. Not in a that's all right kind of way but makes them a display for the world. What is this? Our relationships every day, the way that we treat others and the way that we extend grace to others ought to look to the world like that bizarre video we saw earlier. If the church acted this way, Fox News wouldn't know what to do. CNN wouldn't know what to do. What would they have? As a matter of fact, you know, it's interesting. When I searched for that video, I was shocked. I had a hard time finding that one. It turns out it happens a lot. Like more than I knew, that restored hope for me, at least that our brothers and sisters in Christ are finding the ability to do that. All right, number three. Restored fellowship primes our hearts to give thanks. The beauty of a relationship made new primes our heart to give thanks. All right, this one's kind of fun. While not enumerated as a fruit of the Spirit, why isn't forgiveness there, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Why isn't forgiveness there? Well, it's not enumerated there, but I think if you take some time, and I encourage you to do this later, go down through that list, I think you'll find that forgiveness operates as an expression of the whole bowl. I saved this point to the end because we have a meal waiting for us downstairs. How many of you are glad that you have gotten through the fast? (laughs) How many of you have learned some wonderful things about God's faithfulness? How many of you got to the end and said, you know, I'm not sure I am done. (laughs) There's a little spot there beneath that statement. While not enumerated as the fruit of the Spirit, forgiveness operates as an expression of the whole bowl. There's a little spot there. Fill in there. Forgiveness equals fruit salad. Write that down. 
Forgiveness equals fruit salad. Spend some time, look at that list and see, see if that isn't, the, see if forgiveness doesn't just sort of flow out of having all of those, all of those things active in you. Here's a big one. True forgiveness ultimately humbles us, both the giver and the recipient, and exalts Christ. Isn't that beautiful? This one's just sort of a theme. When I'm talking to my kids about this stuff, this one comes up all the time. They've heard me say it a thousand times. As recipients of grace, we cannot withhold it from others. I don't care who they are or what they have done to you. And I know there's some very, very deep wounds. But no matter how big you think someone's debt is against you, it pales in comparison to your debt to God. That's a shocking thing to realize. Oh, but, you know, I heard in a Sunday school class once, and it says in the Bible that, um, well, you, you, I don't have to forgive them until they come to me and ask for forgiveness. Oh, really? You better believe it's not true, Cormie. How's that work? I'll tell you how it works. God, the creator of all that is, the creator of you and me and all that we see, stood at the beginning of time, his creation, and looked down and he saw what would transpire. He saw what you would do. He knew you. He saw your life. He saw that you would stand with Adam and Eve and go, sure, let's try it. What could we lose? He saw that you would yell, crucify him. He saw that you would betray him. He saw that you would pick up the whip and if you had the opportunity, you would tear the flesh away from his back. He saw you. He saw you on the ground with a hammer and a nail. He saw you stretching his sons out on the cross. He saw you pounding that nail through his flesh. He saw you spitting on him, scorning him. He saw you raising that cross up and dropping it into the hole on the ground. He saw you. He saw you denying him. And he sent him anyway. Because he loved you so much. And he knew you were helpless to save yourself. How can I forgive them? How can I forgive them this debt? How can I teach them to forgive one another? You want an example of learning how to forgive? hanging on the cross and saying, Father, forgive them. Or more like, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. How do you end? What more can I say? We're going to play a song. As we do, I want you to ask this one last question, and that's what that line's for at the bottom of your page. And here's the question. Here's the question right now, and then we're going to play this. And I want you to spend this time thinking about an answer to this question.
The question is this. Who do I need to forgive? Thank you for listening. In order to cooperate with copyright law, please visit wvfbc.org slash forgiven to hear the closing song. That's wvfbc.org slash forgiven. Thank you.